Let's talk some football. The make me wanna As, uh, yeah, weird training camp, different kind of training camp, but training camp is essentially over and NFL teams locking in on the start of the season as the Bills get ready to start. The NFL season starts next Thursday, and then the weekend that follows, the Bills open up against the Jets. And here to talk all things Buffalo Bills with us, you can find him on the digital pages of Syracuse.com, NYUp.com, the man, the myth, the legend. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Perino back with us on the block. Hello, Matthew. How are you? I'm locked in. That's a great way to put it. I feel like uh, after all these months of uh, Zoom conference calls, making them millions and billions of dollars we're finally in person and what and we're still zooming actually but uh and maybe that's why they're stacked up but no i'm locked in uh we're we're what are we now less than two weeks away four days away from roster cutdown day uh let's go giddy up man i want to make a guess at something here and, and this is just based on you know certain highlights that are, are controlled by the team put out by the team what you report on and just a mixture of Whatever we can gather these days, but I think if we are handing out a training camp awards, that uh, Stefan Diggs would be the MVP. Am I heading down the right road there? Um, yeah, I think that would be a safe, uh, safe uh, uh, award winner. Uh, Stefan Diggs has been everything that I think we all thought he was going to be. Um, on the one day that we actually got to see him featured, it was a Tuesday practice last week. Uh, got a lot of uh, you know, got a lot of eyes on him during uh, the eleven on eleven drills, and I think he was targeted nine times and had nine catches, and it kind of showed what he can mean for Josh Allen in that short to intermediate range. I mean, everybody's talking about the downfield weapon that Diggs can be in this offense, and that's we saw it today. The team put out a video. Uh, he was going up against Trey, Trey White, and uh, Allen put one down. No, no pass rush, mind you, but put one down the field. And it was a nice ball. But I think just getting the ball in Diggs' hands is going to be such a safety valve for Josh Allen this year. And we saw that last week, and he's continued to be really good. He missed a few days there. I think Bill's Mafia was a little bit nervous about some lower back issues. Uh, but he's back, looks good. And, and Gabriel Davis, hey, they could have their number two of the future in this kid. He's looked phenomenal as well. I wanted to ask about him because, look, Diggs gives you a true number one. John Brown, I'm a big fan of. You're a big fan of. Solid receiver and you know, is only, I think, going to have his life made easier by the presence of Diggs. And Cole Beasley, of course, is somebody who's always open in the flat and a, and a great established receiver. But Davis has just generated a ton of buzz at camp. Why? Every day that he stepped on the practice field that we've seen him, he's made plays. And that's that's the key here. Like, there's been, like, Camp Darlings over the years. I mean, we had one last year. Duke Williams was was really good right. in training camp. And I, and I maintain, when you watch this guy practice, Duke Williams is an elite practice player. He makes plays. But Davis is a little bit different. Like, he's got this versatility to him. I can't really talk about, you know, where he's lining up and what he's doing and where he's playing. But I can tell you when, when he's been targeted, you know, whether it be against Tredavious White or Levi Wallace or Josh Norman before he was injured, he's making plays. And he's got this, this size, this quickness that I didn't anticipate him having. I thought one of the knocks on him and why he was going a little bit later was he has contested catchability, but maybe not that top-end speed or that quickness off the line to get separation. I don't know what those people were watching because this guy is getting separation at the line. He's getting separation at the second level, the third level. Um, now it's practice. So, you know, it's all fun and games to get excited right now about what you're seeing in a practice setting. But don't forget, 
they're going up against, the, you know, one of the best defenses in this league. So I think that that's what's making everybody get a little bit more excited about what Davis is doing is because he's doing it against the Bills defense, which is supposed to be pretty good this year. I think it's a compliment, as our friend Matt Perino joins us here from Syracuse.com, NYUp.com. Matt, it's a compliment that when the kicker competition is one of the sexier discussions during camp, it's a compliment to the depth at most positions on the field, right? And the Bills made a significant change there. I mean, Hauschka wasn't automatic. There were certain things you could look at that were flaws in his game, but for Tyler Bass to get drafted, come in and beat him out for the job is significant. Was it a matter of numbers? Was it a contract thing? Why ultimately do you think Bass won the job? You know, the fact that they moved on when they did, you know, a week before they had to, a little over a week before they had to, tells me that, you know, they drafted Tyler Bass in the sixth round for a reason. I felt like this was a situation. It feels like to me that it was kind of his job to win right off the right off the bat. And when you saw early on in camp, when they got into some of the competitive environments and pitting them against each other, and the one day out at the stadium when Steven Hauschka missed three 50-plus-yard field goals, and, you know, outside of one miss in the wind last Thursday, Tyler Bass has just been – you know, he's been making 50 yarders that would probably be good from 70, uh, you know, under the right circumstances. So this is a guy with a, an absolute cannon for a right leg. And not to mention the fact that, you know, special teams is a big piece of things with, in terms of what they're trying to build. When you put T- Tyler Bass out there as your kickoff guy, you know, he's probably going to get a, a touchback almost every time because he's got that kind of power. Last week in the stadium, you know, two kickoffs that he did into the win, and he put one out of the end zone and one was a touchback. And so I think that it was just time. I think that the running was on the wall and, and Tyler Bass came out here. And even in some of the, you know, behind closed doors competitions that they put these two guys through, Keith Farwell, the special teams coordinator, said Tyler Bass won them all. Matt, when you, all things considered, through the whole off season, let's, let's kind of do a sense of things going forward as they lock in on the season. Football players and coaches are always going to, you know, kind of downplay certain things and, and not admit to what I'm about to say. But all things considered, do you get a sense that the Bills really feel it, that they're the favorite to win this division? So that's a good question. I mean, it's tough to get that read because, you know, at any mention of that, I mean, it's usually deflected to some, you know, conversation about the Patriots and to be the best, you got to beat the best. I mean, that's the you know, the uh, tried-and-true catchphrase in team sports and individual sports. But I think that, you know, there is a quiet, you know, swagger to this team that I think that they know and feel that this is finally the time where all the pieces are in place. I mean, you see it with Stephon Diggs when he's out on the field, like, you know, the reaction to all of the tweets today and just watching him kind of, walk around during warm-ups and interact with Josh Allen and, you know, the way this offense, you know, I think John Brown almost his swagger goes to the next level because he knows all the opportunities that are probably lying ahead for him this season. And, you know, to see Zach Moss come on and and look every bit the part of, you know, that uh, 1B or maybe even eventually 1A uh, running back to Singletary during camp, he's so physical, man. Like, there was one play last week where he just – 
bulldozed Dean Marlowe. Poor Dean Marlowe at the second level. They, he just went, he, you know, Zach Moss said he's going to make his defenders make business decisions. And I'm guessing Marlowe wish he didn't make the decision that he made because he just got run over. And, and so I think he's a real weapon in the red zone. They got a couple really good weapons in the red zone now with Josh Allen, Zach Moss. Uh, we'll see how Dawson Knox progresses. I think Dawson Knox probably to me is the biggest question mark. You know, I, I know that probably most people would say Josh Allen, but if Dawson Knox can take that next step, I think that we're really then talking about a potential top ten offense. Matt, final question for you here. Uh, as you know, Sean McDermott doesn't really take a lot of stances on things. He doesn't throw the hot takes out there. But he is pretty opinionated about attendance at NFL games and the competitive advantage or disadvantage that's going to bring teams. We know that for at least the first two home games, no fans at what is uh, deemed Bill Stadium until they get a new name for the facility. What did you think about Sean really taking a stance on that and how much of a competitive disadvantage could it be with no fans in that stadium for the Bills? Well, I wasn't surprised at, at all, Brent. I mean, look at you know, what the Bills have chosen to do during this training camp period in terms of limiting what the media can talk about and report. I mean, when it comes to competitive equity or, or, or trying to get a leg up on the competition, I mean, you know, that's Sean McDermott's wheelhouse. So I'm not surprised that the, the you know, idea of playing in kind of uh, an uneven schedule in terms of where fans can be and where fans can't be, especially when you're talking about you know, for sure, the first two weeks there's going to be no fans at New at uh, Bills Stadium, as you mentioned. I, 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 I'm not surprised that that doesn't sit well with Sean McDermott, but I also think that he uses it as a motivational tool to put it out there, like you know, yeah, okay, we can't have you know, go back in the locker room and say, yeah, we can't have fans, but you know, that you know, that's just another uh, you know chip on our shoulder, another uh, you know thing that he can use to motivate his team. So I think maybe down deep, he maybe maybe he likes it because. It's something that he can use and, and, and try to get a competitive advantage that way. But I think the first week of the season, those kinds of things don't really matter because I think the Bills are going up against the team, the Jets, that are dealing with a lot of their own issues right now. You know, we've talked numerous times about the tire fire uh, that, that Adam Gase has created there, but they're just dealing with, you know, some, you know, inept uh, players, you know, at a lot of spots, and you know, they lost some guys on defense. This, this game, week one, it's kind of a letdown situation because you know you got to go, you got to welcome the Jets into your stadium and really beat them down. I mean this this is not a good football team in, in New York, I don't think. So you know it's a tough situation, but it, it also could be a good situation because I don't think the Jets are very good. Matt, always appreciate the time and the insight. Keep up the good work, my friend. We'll catch up down the road. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. I, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. Look, the whole concept of stick to sports has always been a foolhardy thing. Uh, I just kind of want to, certain people, I just kind of want to pat them on the head and say, look, life and sports interject all the time. I watch sports to get away from the real world. I don't want to hear about it. It's like, okay, well, you can go bury your head in the sand all you want. Eventually, you got to pull your head out of it, and deal with the real world, right? But this is a case where sports and the election are colliding here. So, I'm going to try this, and we'll see how it goes. This It's been nice working with you. Maybe I should say that at the beginning here. No, Yay, democracy! President Trump today tweeted the following. 
had a very productive conversation with Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, about immediately starting up Big Ten football. Would be good, parentheses, great for everyone, players, fans, country, on the one-yard line. He said the decision is on the one-yard line. Now to that, Pete Thamar, a good friend from Yahoo Sports, I wrote the following, and I quote, Trump tweeted Tuesday afternoon that he spoke to embattled Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren about, quote, immediately starting up Big Ten football, adding that the decision was, quote, on the one-yard line. As Pete writes, to say multiple sources denied the notion of the Big Ten playing immediately would not be strong enough. The sources heartily laughed at it. The notion of playing around Thanksgiving is an embryonic decision, and there's a desire among coaches to start as early as possible, but, quote, immediately is in another universe, especially with multiple Big Ten teams not even having players on campus right now. Trump's transparent setting setting up of Warren as a political punching bag this fall to court votes in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan is so obvious that the only surprise is that he didn't do it sooner. So again, like it or not, and I wonder uh, how the football fans that say, I don't want politics and sports are going to feel about this if President Trump can set it up and make it look like essentially he saved Big Ten football. Because those four states that I just read, uh, I am not Chuck Todd, but I know enough and you know enough that those four states could decide the election. Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, there's other big swing states, North Carolina, Arizona, Texas, Florida, of course. But remember how the 2016 election was decided. It was essentially a football stadium, 100,000, so that would be the big house, that gave Trump the election. In those states, key swing states, if the Big Ten's not playing football and somehow Trump can spin it, that he saved Big Ten football, look, it's not an exaggeration to say that could swing the election. It's not an exaggeration to say that... Football is very important to people in the state of Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin and some of these states. Should that be a deciding factor on why you elect a president and why you choose a president? No, but this is 2020 and people make decisions about things on a number of factors. This is big. Now, Pete's pushback on that and talking to people involved. Can they do this, pull it off and get it done by November 3rd? Right, At least the understanding that football will be back on the field by November 3rd. Look, both candidates are going to try everything they can over the next two months. Election day is about two months from today, believe it or not, to get those ever-important swing votes, to get the independent votes. To look, I think we know polls are trash. Don't trust the polls, especially after 2016. But... To see the role sports is going to play in this, there are much bigger things in life. But the reason the Big Ten canceled was on the advice of their health experts, right? What has changed in that discussion? They, hey, let's ramp it up. Let's get on the field next month, right? The Big Ten does look ridiculous right now because you wake up every day and the message they're sending, the direction they're going in, and whether they're playing or not is different. They went from no way, no how, not playing to maybe we're going to play to now you got. The president of the United States saying had a product, and Trump tends to do this, right? To set the agenda, to exaggerate, to move things along. He'll just tweet it. And if he tweets it, it must be true. Oh, yeah, talk to the commissioner. We're, we're playing next month, right? Meanwhile, people in the Big Ten are like, what? 
Now, they are talking about getting on the field sooner than next spring, which is wise. And no matter what, this was going to be, look, this was a tenuous thing. The Big Ten looks stupid right now. But you know how easily the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 could have looked like the, the stupid conferences, if you will, that made the wrong decision about this? There was such a thin line to straddle. Because right now the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 look great. Everybody's happy. We're playing football. Take that, Corona. When we all know, like, we're not going to know truly until they start playing games. The SEC is religion, and they were going to play no matter what. I think we all knew that. But the Big Ten could have easily been the ones that could have stood up and said, we made the right call here. And they still may get to make that decision. But now you've got the political pressure. That comes with, say all you want about Trump, the fire hose of his Twitter account and his what he says and how that swings people that support him. And if football is involved, like this is going to be, at the very least, fascinating to watch. Those are major swing states that all love football. And if he can, or Biden for that matter, can make it seem like, hey, we save football. This whole concept of sports is a shield from society. Yeah, stick to sports. That's why it's ridiculous. That's hot. It doesn't exist. It's not possible. Two months from Election Day, just about, hair over two months. Everybody just take a deep breath. But sports is certainly going to be involved in this. NFL ratings went down a couple or four years ago in the last election cycle because Colin Kaepernick was in that election cycle, right? The other thing I want to note quickly, because I brought up before the break a question you're going to get answered starting today nielsen is going to measure out of home ratings for television with linear television for the fall tv season meaning basically we never quite got a true idea of football viewing in bars restaurants places other than homes we're now going to see that factored into ratings what makes that fascinating is well you can't go to bars and restaurants right now those out of home viewing they're down significantly because a lot of these places aren't even open or have limited capacity, right? So the sports bar contingent, how many people are watching these games out of their homes, will now be measured, but it will be down because of the world we're in. So at least we're going to know, and it's a question a lot of people have had, and now we'll at least somewhat get the answer to. We need to take a break. We'll come back and 